This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, Stephen here from Double Tap, and today it is Thursday. It's the 12th of October, 2023, and I am here live at CES Unveiled in Amsterdam. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. Hey, Sean Priest, how are you today? I am glorious, thank you, Stephen Scott. How are you, sir? Oh, well, I'm here. I'm in Amsterdam. Tulips from Amsterdam at Clogs. Uh, clocks, windmills. Yeah. Do they do you, the you, clock thing? You know you're in public, right? They can hear you. Hello. See, the great thing is it's so noisy here. I don't think anybody can hear a word I'm saying. I can barely hear a word I'm saying. So, mm. <sighs> well, can you just tell them to just keep it down a bit? Yeah, would you mind? Sorry. Yes. I don't think they're listening. Double tap yeah, gets too thrown out. Fun. <laughs> They're too busy enjoying themselves. It's a fantastic event. Uh, here I am at... Uh, honestly, I have no idea where I am. This is one of the greatest things in the world about being blind and also using Uber, right? You never actually know where you are anymore because with Uber, you just put in an address or you can just put in a location or a hotel name or something and it will just take you there. It just takes you. And they don't even talk to you. Oh, I've got to tell you my Uber story, right? So, you know, honestly, I love Uber. And I've decided I love it. I'm in love with Uber. Yes. Explain why? It is well, a great story. No, just leave it there. That's fine. Thanks. <laughs> so that's what I normally do. <laughs> no, so you know, yesterday I arrive at Amsterdam Schiphol Airport. That's exactly how it's pronounced. Schiphol. And um, Schiphol. It's either Schiphol or Schiphol. But you know, okay. I mean, I could ask. I mean, there's plenty yeah, of people yeah, around. Yeah, I could. No, it doesn't matter. Ask, but it's yeah, fine. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I arrive, and uh, obviously I want to Uber to the hotel, okay? So that's obvious. That's fair enough. And uh, one of the things that I often have a challenge with is getting the Uber pickup right. Because at an airport or any location, basically, often these days they have pickup points, specific places where Uber cars will pick up. Yes. And you need to know what that is. And, of course, if you can't see the map on the app, then mm. you can't find it. Yes. Um, now, couple this with the assistants didn't turn up at the airport. No. Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah, no airport assistants. Couldn't get anything at Amsterdam. Uh, apparently, I wasn't on the list. Typical. <laughs> Typical. Yes. We're never on the list, even. Doesn't stop us from turning up. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I wasn't on the list to get into Amsterdam that day. The border control were very pleasant, though. They let me in. <laughs> uh, so that was nice. But... Um, yeah, nobody turned up, and I was told to wait. And you know, after waiting for 20 minutes, I thought, do you know what? I don't think anybody's coming, and I really... It's about 7 o'clock at night. I just want to get to the hotel yep. and get to sleep. It's been a long enough day. Uh, and, of course, the thing is, because you're traveling from the UK to Amsterdam, you add an hour because you, you go forward an hour in time. Yes. So, you know, now it's even later. So you just you went rogue and made your own way. Is that what you're saying? I called up Ira. Uh, and this is—I was—I I was going to do this. You see, I wanted to come here today and tell you the story of my heroic. I don't have my button today. I didn't bring my button. With oh me, yeah. But if I had the button, it, the crowd would be going absolutely wild uh, <laughs> at my heroic achievements uh, of uh, managing to negotiate airports and air travel without any assistance. But you know what? I bottled it in the end and thought I'm booking assistance because. Yes. I don't I want to get lost for eight hours. Yes. No, I can't do this. This is just a really bad idea. So I decided to to book the assistance. But, of course, and at Glasgow Airport, it was fine. 
wonderful as always. It's actually it's always the same people, right? So you get to know people. Oh, hello, you again. Yeah. So um, yeah, that was fine. And then I get to Amsterdam, and there's nothing. Um, now I have to say the staff are amazing, and they're so kind and so so friendly here. I mean, they're wonderful people. You can't get annoyed at them. Didn't stop some people in the airport last night. I had a lot of shouting going on, but <laughs> yes, uh, let's just let's just say a lot of British accents. That's all I'm going to say. Um, but yeah, a lot of people <laughs> getting upset about whatever reason they were getting upset. Um, but anyway, I waited for 20 minutes. Nothing happened, so I thought I'm going to call Ira and just see if they can help. And it was so funny. <laughs> it was so funny. The first caller couldn't hear me. The first agent couldn't hear me. Right. The second agent uh, was wonderful, uh, so she was able to guide me through to where the baggage hall was. But I get to what is a set of stairs, and she <laughs> says to me, "Just be, just be careful. You're coming up to a set of stairs. Handrail is on your left." I'm like, "Okay, great." Oh, so cool. I start walking down the stairs. It's all going really well, right? Okay. Um, now this is one of those. If you were to stop the book, what happens next, right? <laughs> it's, um, it's like one of those disaster movies where you can see it's all <laughs> signposted. Something's going to happen. Yeah, something's going to go horribly wrong. He's going to come falling down the stairs. <laughs> no, I was fine on the stairs until I got grabbed. <gasps> no, who grabbed you? A random person. No. Just someone who wanted to help me by literally trying to pick me up and carry <laughs> me down the stairs. So I'm saying to the person, it's okay, I'm fine, thank you. That's really kind of you, but thank you. Of course, they're not listening, they're not understanding, I don't know which, mm. but they weren't getting it. And so as I'm saying thank you, the agent must think, oh, he's a bit cheeky. Okay, then, she says, have a great day, and hangs up. And I'm no. like, oh, no, <laughs> not don't you. Leave, don't leave me with Mr. Grabby. Yeah. <laughs> or Mrs. Grabby, I don't know which one. Ah, yeah, so, sexist. Correct. Sexist, yeah. Sorry. Anyone can grab, you know. Anybody yes. can grab. So, um, yeah, I <laughs> just, just ask first, please. Do you need help? No. Goodbye. Um Anyway, that was me. So I got to the bottom of the stairs. I'm now in what appears to be a maze of those uh, poles with oh, the, no. you know, the big strips, straps that almost go from one pole yes. to the next. Yes, yes. This I, is like you know a game of disastrous chess that's about to take place. <laughs> and I'm just going to be left there. So I'm like, right, okay. So I keep, I, I keep going. And eventually, of course, someone must see me heading for this, ready to collapse the whole lot of it and grabs a hold of me or comes up and says, at least can I help you? And I said, yeah, sure, it would be great if I could help me through border security because I want to get to baggage and get to my hotel. Um, so again, come sit over here. Oh, no. Wait here. Yes, okay. I said, look, can you just can you just get me through borders? I'll find my way from there. I've got Ira, although they don't know what that is, but I'm like, I'll find a way. I just said I'll FaceTime someone and they'll yeah. direct me from there. And... Uh, the end result was that the lady actually said, look, I, I'm going to come with you just to make sure you get to where you're going. She was the hero. She became the hero. Yes, well so done. Absolutely wonderful. So, yeah, absolutely amazing. So we got there <sighs> in the end, got to the, got to the Uber pickup point, got the taxi or the car ordered. And, um, oh, yeah, I forgot that bit of the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, carry, this is... Carry, this is this is where it gets exciting. I haven't got to the tech bit yet, why I'm even here. So, although, te- this is tech. This is tech, it Mr. Is. F. Okay? This is real-world tech. Yeah, exactly. This is serious stuff. So, you know, so here I am. I, uh, I get the Uber, and I get in, and the next thing that happens is I get an alert. Because, of course, the great thing is you've got to leave the app open, but Uber is brilliant at notification. So, you know, as you're getting in the car, a notification from Uber says, hey, are you hungry? And I'm thinking, yes. Of course. It says, would you like some food? Now, of course... 
I know Uber Eats exists, right? I get that. Yes. What I didn't know was by tapping on it, it would prop- it would tell me the restaurants next to my hotel that I could order to for a you know for arrival at my hotel. No, so, so that Uber could send well you know an another Uber, Uber another <laughs> Uber could deliver my food wow. to the hotel. So when you step out of your Uber and arrive, another Uber pulls up and gives you I don't know a bucket of chicken. Yeah, that sir is amazing. That is the future. I'm telling you, I was living in the future. Now, did it actually work out like that, though? Well, here's the thing. It did. Oh. Okay, with a, with a couple with a couple of minutes. Oh, here I, mean, we I, had, go. I had to wait for two minutes. I mean, you know, it's but, a disgrace. Uh, yeah. What kind of world is this? I'm standing there saying, this was meant to be the future, and it's turned into a nightmare. Uh, but no, honestly, it was brilliant. The guy turned up, his name was Ruben, really nice guy. Uh, he arrived on his, I guess, some kind of motorbike, moped thing, and uh, had the food in it. Uh, so I got my food, got up to my room. Hotel was really nice, actually. It's, it's one of those business hotels. You know it's a business hotel because there's, it's very quiet. Mm. Uh, you can hear the tapping of laptop keys all over the place, and it's oh. tiny. And it's an industrial estate. So, you know, it's a business hotel, right? Sounds it's not, it's lovely. Not for tourists. Oh, it's, did, you, it's, it's did you press your trousers? It's quite pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the room's too small. But, you know, it's so funny. It's one of those rooms. At first, I thought, I really don't like this because it's so small. But then I realized, you know what? You can't lose anything in here. This is actually quite neat for a blind person. Yeah. This is quite good. I'm going to clip like that this. out till when you check out. And when you come home and you say, oh, no, I've left my keyboard there again, we will see. Well, funny you say that, actually. I don't. Ha- the last time I lost a keyboard, of course, was at Site Village, right? When I lost the keyboard, it was my magic keyboard in a Finty case. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. So good. Lost it. Still convinced someone half-inched it. But anyway, so um, I, uh, I have also now got my keyboard in a case here as well. I've got my Logitech what one is this? The K380, I guess. So, uh, yeah, it's probably oh, going to wow. as well. Yeah. Well, that's a good thing about coming to a tech event, right? No one's going to steal tech. They've all got more tech than each other. So, as a you know, no be- one's stealing anything here. Beautiful segue into the conference. So, Wasn't that good? Uh, how long have you been there now? It feels like... Well, hang on. Are we talking actual or what feels like? Because I think... <laughs> I, I feel like I've been here for five days. Um, but reality about uh, we're doing this just about one o'clock uh, Amsterdam time so I don't know what that relates to anywhere else in the world because I've completely lost track I was, I was kind of laughing this morning because I woke up this morning at uh, about ten to six and I thought to myself we got the show done yesterday I flew here yes got through all the, the hassle got here went to bed, got up, and it was still the same day in Canada. I couldn't figure this out. <laughs> yeah, it was true. still this it was like ten minutes left of that day. Time zones couldn't are terrible. Get my head yes. around that at all. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've uh, been here for I mean basically last night. So got in about eight o'clock. That's me now of course we're halfway through the day here. And of course my real reason for being here is obviously to cover this event, but to broadcast on Access Tech Live. We'll be doing that of course live on TV, uh, you'll probably be watching it or catching this on podcast, depending on which way around it is that you choose to watch, listen, or otherwise. But yeah, we're, we're here for Access Tech Live, and uh, on that, you're going to hear some really interesting conversations with some fascinating companies. And I've tried to seek out companies that are focusing on, I mean, ideally on accessibility, of course, but what I'm tending to find are companies that are talking about prevention of, say, eye care. There's a company called Retinascope I spoke to. 
they were really interesting because they're developing, and I've, heard, I've seen these products before. In fact, I've seen a few of them at CES where you have these products that can attach to a smartphone. So it's not use, it isn't using the smartphone camera, but it's using the capability of the, the processor inside the smartphone to connect to, say, a camera that could be a, a smart scope that can see uh, to the back of the retina. In this particular company's case, that's what they're developing. Um, and it's really interesting because what this enables the company to do is to provide a product or create a product that can be sold to ophthalmologists, to healthcare systems, that can actually enable prevention of sight loss. But in addition to that, this particular product could also detect diabetes. Oh. That's pretty amazing, right? It can, and it can even tell you if you're likely to end up getting diabetes later in life. Even if you don't have any symptoms of diabetes, it can tell you, it can see those, that's those markers, essentially. What, in the retina? Uh, ahead of time. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing is that I don't think people realize this, right? That the power of going for an eye exam, because it can pick up on things. I know I, I, we, I've interviewed many people over my life, and you know this, and we've we both interviewed a lot of different people. And when we speak to some, some of the stories we get, you know, people who say, oh, yeah, I went for an eye test, and I found out that I had yes. a tumor. Yeah, that's right. Um, or I had cancer. Just a casual um, eye exam. Yeah. Yeah, it picks up on a lot of different things. Now, okay, cancer may be a little bit different, but eye cancers especially, it can sometimes uh, detect that, and they can see this. And, of course... The technology is improving all the time, but the key thing with Retinascope is it's not just reliant on the device. It's reliant on, wait for it, here comes it. <laughs> I feel there should be some kind of sound when we play it. AI! Hey! Um, everything's AI, right? Uh, but, of course, what happens is those images are then taken and scanned and, and taken in by AI, and it can show you the results. And we're seeing examples of this. I mean, this kind of tech is starting to become almost normalized in our world you know images i mean we know we right now we do it we analyze images for menus we do it on with be my ai we use you know this technology yeah but if you can go deeper than that if you can actually look at a retina look at a scan of a retina and come up with solutions or see potential problems in that that's amazing yeah absolutely i know there i don't know i'm assuming it's still in trials at the minute but i know a lot it is of, at the moment yeah a lot of medical um, places are organizations are using AI as part of screening when it comes to images. I know Moorfields in London, the, the, the eye hospital there, were using it um, and, and testing out the AI possibilities. And it was, you know, the accuracy was amazing. I've also heard of the same thing in, being used in developing countries when it comes to using smartphone cameras as uh, an alternative to the larger, you know, like slot lamps that you get in your normal. Um, eye hospitals over here because you know a smartphone is just so portable powerful it's so much easier to take with you anywhere Um, so yeah it's a really interesting technology I think there's a dream that eventually this technology could live inside an app but it was interesting when I spoke to the gentleman from Retinascope he said look smartphone cameras just cannot see that level of detail in the back of an eye it needs something additional on top of it and of, of course. course the AI can, can do that extra level it's interesting you mention uh, developing countries because I did bring this up and it's, it, again it's because I've often seen this technology aimed at those markets you know you can send off a very small kit to an optometrist an ophthalmologist who's based say in Africa somewhere and is able to take that out on the road and scan people where they are rather than having to bring people to a exactly. central location 
Yes. And that's brilliant. But what he was saying to me is that actually in the West, we have significant numbers of undiagnosed people who don't even know they've got conditions, who may think that their eyes are just a bit, you know, something not quite right, but they could, it could be early stage AMD or glaucoma, but they don't realize it. Yes. And I think that's really interesting that, you know, we think that in the West we are developed and we're, you know, on top of all of this and, you know, developing countries have a long way to go. It seems to be that we're pretty much on par with the developing countries when it comes to eye research and our own knowledge of what uh, conditions we have. So this technology could be really, really useful. And of course, as you say, it is in clinical trial at the moment, although he is talking about having a product ready in a number of weeks. And I also learned uh, that where I live in Scotland, near Glasgow, there is a a biomedical training and uh, facility that is actually developing and building this level of technology, especially this handheld type technology. Uh, so I think I'll have to take a little trip there when I get home to uh, to go see them because that's very interesting to see that that work is being done literally on my own doorstep. Yeah, um, as long as you can not, get an not Uber just there. making fish suppers. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, really interesting uh, to see what's been developing, uh, and of course, not only that. I was talking to a company called uh, Absolute Audio Labs, which is a very interesting company. Their role is to develop the tech that goes inside hearing aids, that goes inside earbuds. He's working with companies like Samsung and Google and others to develop the kind of chips that go inside uh, the, uh, the headsets. The, the, the kind of technology that enables features like conversational boost or you know, making it possible for adaptive audio control. Yeah. And it's interesting because, of course, what we talk about on our show is all of this wonderful technology, right? We get the new features, the new adaptive audio features on the AirPods, and we go, oh, wow, that's amazing. Um, But we forget that there are a lot of tiny companies, really small companies in some cases, that are developing this tech, and then what those companies are doing are working with or being bought up by (laughs) the giants. And that's the result, that that this is what essentially drives forward. I mean, it's it's often, I think we think sometimes, and we're all guilty of this we forget that it's not all just one you know company that's developing this these small companies are actually having a big big part to play in this and actually developing what will become the next layer of technology and that's that's what ces is about it's about it's about showcasing that it's about highlighting that yeah it's interesting you say it's a company behind you know what goes into hearing aids and, and earbuds and things like that and immediately you think oh they're so they're into microphones or tiny tweeters or driver speakers but actually, yeah. it's the chip, and it's just like the cameras, isn't it? You know, most of the camera sensors now are pretty much up there and the same, but it's all about that signal processing, that onboard power, like we were just talking about before with AI, really. It's about that onboard processing, so the ability to manipulate that audio into better audio or different audio, and that's what makes the difference. Yeah, really cool. So, you know, you've got all that technology, Um a really interesting product that I saw. We haven't spoken to them yet, but we're hoping to speak to them later this afternoon. Really interesting company developing uh, and using 3D printing. Now, we talked recently about 3D printing, and, you know, what can you do with it? What kind of technology could be, uh, not so much technology, but how could the technology be used to, to aid us in our lives? Yeah. What about medication, right? So this is a company developing uh, a, a 3D printed model for medication. Okay. So. 
you have run out of your tablets or you've run out of whatever it is and you need access to it, you can use this 3D printer to create the amount of tablets you require. Can you imagine getting an email prescription from your doctor and you just send it to the printer? I mean, that's kind of where it's heading, right? That's, that's, where, okay. that's what they want to use this for. This is a bit like a, a, a sci-fi movie where it, you, know, you just ask and it just materialises in front of you. Mm. I mean, surely you would need all the, the, the core components, the foundational uh, chemicals or whatever to, to produce a vast array of medication. How does that work? Well, that's the question I want to ask them when I speak to them later because I, I want to know this, right? <laughs> yeah. I wanna, like, how does that work, right? I mean, can, can you really do that? I mean, the answer is clearly yes. They're developing it, but... And again, I'm intrigued to know what the purpose is. Now, is this for chemists? Is this for places? So instead of, maybe it's not a thing we have at home, maybe not at the moment, but maybe this is something that you find in a pharmacy or you find somewhere that instead of having, because like you say, if you need these particular compounds as you would in order to create this, you know, we're all we're all suddenly becoming Breaking Bad. You know, Walter, yes. whatever his name was. Um, yes. You know, we're all going to become that overnight. But you know, with a three D printer, <laughs> Breaking Bad three D. Um, I don't. Th- I don't think that's going to work out. But I think it, this could be something that is developed and is actually sold to to pharmaceutical companies as a way of cutting down. Because I think one thing that I've seen in in actually across CES, but I'm seeing across the board in industry is a, a cutting down on the reliance of logistics. Logistics is the biggest problem, isn't it? It's yeah. getting stuff from A to B. Yeah. And if you can find a simpler way, a more ethical, a more economical way to do that, then that is going to make a lot of sense. So maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe it's about getting the product in the hands of people quicker and more easily, especially at the moment. I mean, I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I've had a few occasions. I don't, I, I take my one tablet a day for my, you know. Leave fatness. it there. Yes, thanks. <laughs> um, Are you I listening, that, Uber? That's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had to take two last night. Um, but, you know, like, get rid of that. Uh, but, yeah, so, you know, I, I have my, my tablet. Um, <laughs> and... You know, but I know that there are people who go to pharmacies and they are told, "Oh, we don't have that. Oh, we don't have that in. We don't that's have any exactly stock of that." And that's becoming a problem. That's a big, big problem. At the moment. Yeah, I, I just had a telephone appointment today, right? Everything is just so streamlined now. I had a telephone appointment with the doctor. He sends my prescription off digitally to the chemist. I go to the chemist. Yeah, we got to wait for it to come in. It'll be in in two days. And it, that's the bottleneck. It's all about the logistics, the delivery, the physical transportation about it. And again, it's trying to digitize it. It does make sense. Yeah, it does. And I, I think this is where we need to just almost get to, uh, you know, in a world and, and use this technology for good stuff. That's what I like about CES. You know, you get a chance to, and you have to open your mind a little bit, right? Because you can go up to a company that's creating semiconductors and you think, okay, how does that interest anybody? But the truth is, it's not about... It's like buying a house that's a complete mess. You know, you've got to look beyond the yellow walls, right? You've got to think, no, oh, this could be something nice. Look at the potential, yes. <laughs> look at the potential here. Uh, and that's exactly what I think is going on uh, with, with all of this, uh, this tech. Um, so, yeah, it, it's been really interesting. And as I say, healthcare is going to be a major feature of CES in 2024. 
So that tells you where they're going with this. They want to really focus in on companies that are creating. Um, one other company I want to mention, which I think is doing some really interesting work, and again, it's all about prevention, right? So um, I have a family uh, member who's got COPD. In fact, a couple of family members I know who've got COPD, which is the breathing condition, which is it's very serious. Yes. Um, and one of the challenges is, if you're going to have an attack or something relating to your breathing that is going to uh, be detrimental to your health, possibly even your life, uh, you'd want to know in advance, right? Ideally, you'd want to know. But of course, most of us never know. It just happens. And then we wait for an ambulance to come and we hope for the best. But if you were able to get information in advance of when an attack was likely to happen and then take steps to avoid that or get healthcare in advance, yes, that would be amazing. And that's what one particular company we were talking to, Ames, A-M-E-S, uh, they're really interesting because that's exactly what they're doing. They're developing technology that goes into the... It's actually connected to the nasal cannula, which people who have COPD often have to wear. And what happens is it can detect different patterns of breathing which are in accordance with someone who's about to have an attack. So you may feel okay, but an attack is imminent because your breathing is changing. You're unaware of it. It's a very subtle change. But with that kind of technology changing, or sorry, that kind of technology watching you while yes. you're going through all this and going through these motions, uh, it is able to, in this particular instance, it's able to notify either a healthcare provider or, or even your GP and yourself, yes. but, more, but more importantly, it's able to get that information out to the healthcare provider, right? So yes. if you need assistance, you can get assistance before it becomes serious. And again, I think this is amazing. Now, that's not... And I said, how much is AI involved in this? And he's like, not much. And interestingly, a lot of the companies, not every one of them, not everyone's talking about AI. There's a lot of work going on that's way beyond AI that maybe maybe AI can influence in the future, but it's not there yet. Well, again, it's, it's the advancements and the evolution of all these sensors, right? I mean, we've seen it in the smartwatches and things like that. There's so many sensors now, and the speed and the amount of times they can take a sample of whatever is incredible and the amount of time that they can do that for um, and that's the key knowing what you're looking for and how often can you look out for the warning signs um, yeah fantastic so you know that was one example of it and then the other example which I thought was really interesting was Smart Care which is Q-A-R-E they've uh, created a product which someone who lives at home and wants to remain living at home because this is the thing I and mean, this is a bit of a a thread these days. People don't want to go and live in care homes if they can avoid it. You know, they no. don't want to move into residential care. If they need to, that's different. But you know, if you can live at home, well, you should live at home. Yes. And that is where smart care comes in. It's one one example, and I've have seen a number of them over the years. We've spoken to a few different companies here on, on Double Tap that have uh, that provided this service and continue to, especially in Europe. These are very uh, popular companies in Europe, in particular. But uh, this particular one in the Netherlands, it is its purpose is to not only, uh, and like I said about COPD, it's not just about providing the availability of care when you need it. So my mum and dad, for example, have a system at home where if there's a challenge or a problem, there's an issue, they wear this watch, which is essentially just a giant button. Yeah. They press the button and they get connected to someone who can say, hey, what's wrong? Do you need a hand? Do you need help? And if it's an ambulance, and often case recently with my dad especially, it's been an ambulance required, uh, they will 
send out that ambulance. They will, they will prioritize that and, and they take care of it. And they also stay with you. So you feel that, you know, for me, like today, being here in Amsterdam, if I was away before, I'd be really nervous just now because I know my mum and dad don't keep so well. So I'd be really nervous about what happens if something goes wrong at home. Yeah. And now I feel so much more comfortable because the last time, I think we were actually here the last time, <laughs> something about Amsterdam. Um, but I can't, every time I come to Amsterdam, something horrible happens to my family. But, um, but not this not, time. Not, not this time. Everything's fine. Um, I love you, CS. Yes, everyone's good. Um, but yeah, I haven't checked in yet. But the thing Stop is, um, <laughs> wow. this took a dark so, turn quickly. Save us. Does not always. Um, but yeah, so basically on that occasion, she was able to press the button and get help. Now with smart care, what you get is something a bit different. It will monitor you. So it has sensors, it has something you wear, which will monitor your heart rate, your breathing, everything. It monitors everything. And what it does is it keeps an eye on all this. And again, when you need the help, it will go off and get the support for you in advance of that. So it's kind of like the COPD, but but a bit more general. Uh, And again, I think that's wonderful because it gives a lot of people peace of mind. I also think for people who've got family with dementia or conditions where they perhaps cannot or will not take care of themselves for whatever reason. Yes. Then that is, this is where this technology can really be beneficial, right? Because it, it gives the family a bit of peace of mind. Yeah, absolutely. And you can't put a price on that, right? But you, you're absolutely well, you right. you can, They're, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and they will. But, you know. <laughs> but there, is, there, there are occasions where something may happen where they're unable because you know, mm. panic, panic buttons have been around for a long time and they're great. But there are occasions where maybe they can't trigger that or maybe there's been too many false triggers on that and it, be- it becomes almost unreliable because it's used when it's not needed. Uh, so yeah. something that's monitoring, smart monitoring like this is, is definitely something that's, that's growing. We've seen a few of these sort of systems already. Yeah, definitely. Uh, look, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We're going to get some emails as well. And uh, also going to play you in an interview I did. Because not only are we going to be talking about uh, CES today, uh, here on Double Tap, you're going to find out a little bit about the future. I thought I'd keep something aside just for us. Okay? Oh, so well done. I know we're here for Access Tech Live and, you know, the TV show we'll get. And we'll have some great interviews. So go and enjoy all of those. Um, but, you know, here on Double Tap, I thought I'd give you something a bit special. So we're going to look ahead to CES 2024. Uh, with someone who certainly, let's just say, knows his onions. We'll get to that in just a moment. This is Double Tap. Send us your feedback to feedback at doubletaponair.com. Leave us a voicemail at 1-877-803-4567. You're listening to Double Tap. Okay, shall we get to a couple of emails? Because a lot of you are getting in touch as always. Pete got in touch with some uh, comments on a few things we've been talking about. Hi, guys and lady. Earlier in the week, you were both confused and a little dismissive of the new sound curtain feature in iOS. Just in case you are still unaware, this is aimed at those using Braille who may be deaf or hard of hearing and may not be able or do not wish to hear the sounds. And as they are using Braille, they may not want the device being audible, and so this feature gives them privacy. So VoiceOver is not telling everyone around them what they are doing. Just like Screen Curtain gives us VO users privacy from someone looking over at our screens. On the soundscape matter, I kind of agree with Stephen here. Whilst Voice Vista has differentiated themselves, the other two versions out there appear so far to just be soundscape clones, and their announcements so far appear to simply be bringing the app back rather than talking about adding new things. 
so we seem to have the Scottish working with a team and the Irish working with another team. Perhaps they should work together and share resources, ideas and ensure future stability. By the way, a real shame that the work Microsoft did with Sony in bringing the Sony Link Buds to Soundscape didn't make it into the open source code. They are the only current product with head tracking support that still keeps your ears unblocked. AirPods transparency mode, I believe, is stereo, so not the same 360-degree hearing you get from unblocked ears like the Link Buds Open Donut design gave you. One last thing. I noticed Stephen's excitement over the headphone jack on his little phone demo this week, and it made me think. I have two of those little Apple 3.5mm to lightning dongle adapters, which I do not need. If there are any listeners who know anyone in the UK who do not use Bluetooth and still have a device with a lightning port, I'd be happy to post these to them. Cheers, Pete. Well, thank you, Pete. Um, Yeah, interesting one there. Um, We've turned into a swap shop. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I want to go back to the Sunscape point because I think, again, this is a a conversation that we... And interestingly, we are going to speak to the guys behind the Sunscape community app. Um, We have that interview scheduled next week, I think. So we'll be looking forward to hearing from them. That's the NCBI, who are part of a group of... uh, uh, well, various people actually who've got involved. We're going to speak to two of them next week on the show, so looking forward to that. Uh, but yeah, I must admit, I, I kind of feel that, that a day will come when one or other of these will go, and it does seem a shame that you know one is one could potentially take the lead here and then fall, and then we have something else we have to then go and find. And I think for people, some people might just listen to that and go, Do you know, I can't be bothered. There's just too much to. Uh, once I once I get settled with something, I'm comfortable with it. And it's, it's, it's one thing to say, because I know when I said this last time, I was thinking about it later, and I thought, you know, I suppose anything can fall, right? Any app can come along and disappear. Yes. But I think when you're starting out with three apps doing the same thing, it's kind of inevitable one or two will go. So would it not be better for these groups to get together? I mean, can the can the Irish and the Scottish and the whoever's involved with Voice Vista, you know, US, you know, can we all just can we all just get along and so just, just make one app? We just work together, like they do on <laughs> Sesame Street, cooperation. Yeah. Well, the, the the thing is, right? We were so grateful, and there was a, a sort of there was a race almost to get it back in the App Store, right? With, there was such a, a fear. I think it's not too strong a word. Some people were really worried about it going away, so there was that race just to get it back and working as it is. Um, but it seems that both of these organisations, in, in terms of the Scottish Tech Army and NCBI, are, are really, they seem to have the same ends. It's all about trying to keep this sustainable and trying to cover the costs uh, in various ways. And it seems, mm. you know, if you're both looking for the same thing, it does seem to make sense to join forces. But on a, on a practical level, how, how practical that actually is to do, organisational-wise, I have no idea. But, yeah, I, I totally agree. Oh, well, on the sound curtain, we did, yes, you're absolutely right, and we did get pulled up on that quite heavily and quite rightly. Um, we were just, <laughs> just didn't even, we were looking at it from our own visually impaired bubble, and absolutely right. Yeah, it makes total sense. Uh, thanks for that, Pete. Uh, Wayne also got in touch. Hi, Sean and Stephen. The following subject really upsets me, so please forgive me for my severe reactions. I feel we are treated with disregard to what we need because it does not affect the general public. Here are some examples. 1. Around 1990, I tried to get textbooks for college I needed in an alternative format, such as text files, which I was willing to pay for. 
the publishers flatly refused me because I might mass-produce them and sell them, forgetting the fact people had access to photocopiers, scanners and cameras which would do the same thing. Now, fast forward 15 years or so later, and now we have books available in electronic formats. 2. Many blind people wanted the ability to take pictures with smart glasses but were told they could not do this because of privacy reasons. Now Apple is going to allow people to use the Vision Pro to take pictures and videos, but we are still being locked out of using Ira and Be My Eyes. 3. Now we are told we cannot have pictures of people described by AI because of privacy reasons. Again, they are forgetting that sighted people can take or scan pictures, can search for images and manipulate them in all kinds of ways. Don't forget all the cameras with telephoto lenses and security cameras that can identify different people. Are they blocking any part of these images? No. Imagine the outcry sighted people would have if they were restricted in the ways we are. Thank you for your time and thank you for all the great shows. Wayne. Thank you, Wayne. Um, There's not a lot to to say to that other than I agree 100%. Uh, One thing I will pick up on though is, of course, the Be My Eyes uh, reference there with with images being... Um, essentially blocked, I guess, because you know faces it's privacy were being blocked. Concerns. Yes, it's all about yeah. yeah data protection and privacy, and that it does affect the mainstream. That is how you get the picture using a telephoto lens or just simply snapping a picture on your smartphone and sending it through to a, another service. It's that service does have a legal responsibility uh, to implement certain privacy protections on it. Yes, it's an inconvenience, absolutely. Um, but for us, it's more than an inconvenience. Um, but that's not just, you know, a, a disabled issue, to be honest. That, that does affect anyone wanting to use that service. Well, yeah, and, and we have to remember as well, these are about state laws in some cases in the states in particular, uh, and certain jurisdictions around the world that are forcing this issue. It, this isn't about the company. I think that OpenAI is a company and Be My Eyes certainly want to make this available. OpenAI may have a different view on this, right? I think there's an argument. There's a different argument for blind people here and that we are so... Well, I'm grateful that Be My Eyes is is fighting the corner on this because they have the ear of OpenAI and they can push this in a way that I don't think the community in in itself could. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I agree. That's the difference. And the fact is they're making a product and they've worked with OpenAI from a very early stage to develop that product. So it's, it's, they're on our corner on this, which is absolutely brilliant. Um, so we just, we just have to be a little bit careful because I, I saw a lot of people blaming Be My Eyes when this happened. But you know, hopefully people have realized now that it's not Be My Eyes' fault. It's not even OpenAI's fault. This is down to local laws. And you know, if we in any way want to respect the law, we have to go with that. Should the law change? Well, then maybe it should be amendments. Maybe that... I think that in America, for example, with the Americans with Dis- the, the Americans with Disabilities Act, yeah, that could perhaps include a clause somewhere that says or states that you know in, in this particular provision that you know this should be considered. You know, I think that's probably the way around it. To be perfectly honest, I mean, some people are against the whole regulation and compliance approach with this, but I think you, in this particular instance, you do have to have the legal side uh, with you, and and that may be about provisions in disability legislation to get that yeah. done. But I can totally understand your frustration there. Absolutely. But I, I think it comes to an overall frustration, right? And it's funny because Sean and I were talking on Tuesday before we recorded our show. And, you know, I had a lot of frustrations about things on, on Tuesday. I don't quite know why, to be perfectly honest. There's no reason for it. And some days you just wake up in a bad mood and that's okay. Um, Tuesday, you know, I mentioned 
earlier in the week that we recorded that show on Friday and I'm really glad we did because I wasn't in a great mood on Tuesday at all <laughs> yes. um, and you know I was really glad we didn't record but I, I feel that there are days when we do feel like we're just second class citizens and it's interesting because today of course I'm here at CES and I am talking to lots of different companies who have never I mean, some of them are aware of accessibility and they certainly know more about it than they've known before and actually again and I have to say this this is one of the greatest things about what CES are doing you know going forward accessibility and we'll hear from John Kelly who's one of the main people who runs CES in Las Vegas we'll hear about how accessibility is seen in a few minutes from him but I think it's really interesting to to talk to people and know that they're starting to get their head around what accessibility is but what I love doing is talking to these companies about how their product that they may never think about from an accessibility point of view um, could actually benefit us. There was one company I spoke to called Ink Invent. And this is a company who've created, they've added an additive to color. To I, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to pretend I fully understand this. Go on, basically, they've give us the added an explanation. <laughs> yeah, I'll really try. Uh, so what they've done is they've, they've added this additive, right? And what it does is it enables... Uh, light to reflect off a painted surface um, even if there's no light it can still remain fairly reflective so if any light hits it it becomes fully reflective so a dark color uh, can be fully reflective um, that's my understanding of it right so it can make it, it, it's built for for car manufacturers it's right. built for cycle helmets it's built for that you know that's the kind of application right but um, interestingly one of the things they talked about was use with lidar and oh. the, the reason that the, 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 that's so important is because this isn't so much so that people can see other people, say a, a cyclist, for example, on the road. It's about a driverless car being able to see a cyclist oh, on the road. Oh, I see. Yes. Right? So if that technology, and, this, and I was talking to this guy about it because it was fascinating. I said, you know, I'm thinking about the fact that we use LiDAR on our phones and that this could be a really interesting application. I'm not suggesting, although who knows, but maybe one day, and this is a future thought, right? This isn't going to happen right away, but this was my initial thought. You know, wouldn't it be great if technology could see a cyclist coming down the road at us? Even yeah. in the dark. You know, that, 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 would be, that technology could pick up on that so that we could safely cross a road. I mean, that to me would be the next... That, that is one of the things I would love technology to come up with a solution for, crossing a road more safely. Yeah, and I feel at the moment we're reliant on video, and that's maybe not the best way to do it. But it may be something that lidar could be, uh, because essentially you're coming down to the same technology that's going into the driverless cars could be useful for us. Yeah, which that's kind of where a lot of this. T- I mean, remember that thing, the toilet seat thing? We yes talked to that company, and they had the <laughs> toilet seat thing, and that was using lidar. Yes, I don't know what they called it. Yeah, we shouldn't call it the toilet seat thing, but yes. I do. It's it's a good description, though. <laughs> anyway, shall we talk about what is coming up in CES 2024? A bit of a sneak preview here, right? So what's coming up in 2024? What are the themes? That was what I was keen to find out, and I, I got the chance to speak to one of the key people uh, behind the event that's happening in Las Vegas in January next year. Hi, I'm John Kelly, Vice President and Show Director for CES. First off, tell me about your trip to the Netherlands. How are you finding uh, being in Amsterdam? Well, this is actually, I think, the sixth year that we're doing the live in-person event here in um, the Netherlands, and it's awesome. I mean, the, the Dutch innovation on display here at CES Unveiled 
is fantastic. Every year it's inspiring to meet with companies to see what they're oftentimes bringing to CES in Las Vegas. And for us, it gives us an opportunity to kind of provide a sneak peek of some of the trends that we're seeing um, at CES in Las Vegas this coming January. So it's, it's always inspiring to be here. It's great. It's enthusiastic. There's some great people that we work with here. So I, I'm, I love it. Tell us about the top trends that you're excited about at Las Vegas 2024's CES. So I think there, there's several things at CES that we're seeing, where we're, areas where we're seeing growth. So first would be the transportation mobility space. That's a space that has evolved over the past couple of years of CES. There's a huge electrification story that we're seeing at CES with electric vehicles. We're starting to see electric boats. So we have a, f- a few boat manufacturers. We're starting to see, um, we have EV tolls, which is the electronic, uh, or the flying cars, essentially. Um, and then we have um, you know, that space has evolved to the point where we actually have some construction, agriculture type equipment over there as well. Um, so that's one area of the show, and that's in the West Hall at the Convention Center. And we actually occupy the entire West Hall of the Las Vegas Convention Center, which is really the transportation mobility um, area of the show floor. Health. Health is growing, is a growing category at CES, and it's not, it's not just devices. You're starting to see health, um, you know, health companies that are making solutions where, that can provide um, you know, that contribute to healthy lifestyle, for instance. We're seeing manufacturers such as Abbott Laboratories have a presence at CES. And you're also seeing companies um, like the payers, um, the insurance companies, have a presence at CES as well. So it's the entire health ecosystem that we've seen grow out at CES and really see the impact of how technology is directly impacting and changing that industry. So that's another key area that we're seeing um, growth at CES. And then our startup area. And the startup story at CES is huge. We have over a 1,000 startups um, some of which will be here on display today at CES Unveiled in Amsterdam. But to me, that's one of the most unique areas of the show floor because we have it's such a diverse area of the floor, meaning that we have a wide array of different types of companies showcasing different types of products. We also have a wide array of countries represented. So we expect probably anywhere between 15 to 20 countries will have a pavilion down in that space this year, which is amazing. Um, and I think we'll have close to 70 companies from the Netherlands will be down there. Other countries such as France, Italy, Korea, and others will also have a presence down in Eureka Park at the Venetian. And that's, to me, again, it's very exciting just to walk the show floor to see not only the products, but just there's a vibe in that space where people are ex- really excited and passionate about what they do because all of them are entrepreneurs. They've invested a lot of their time and resources in creating and developing these products and then they bring it to market at CES. And to me, that's it's, it's awesome to see. And it's very inspiring as well. Uh, tell me the story of accessibility at CES because that's a growing market, isn't it? It is. It is a growing area of the show floor. And I think what we're starting to see is that more and more companies recognize the need to design products that can meet the needs of the accessible community. And so we actually will have some conference sessions built around this at CES. Well, I know we'll have, um, there'll be companies showcasing technologies for that community at CES. And then we as an association, actually, we have a foundation and we um, work with several companies and different organizations to help support the development of products um, to meet the needs of the accessible community. So it is, I think that story will be on full display at CES 2024, probably more so than it has been in previous years. And tell me about the importance of this event today and why you're here essentially. So this event here in, in, um, in Amsterdam, we've actually partnered with the World Summit of Artificial Intelligence. That's the first year for this partnership. Artificial Intelligence will be on full display at CES. We've been hosting this event here in Amsterdam since 2017. 
Um, and it's an opportunity for us to connect with a very important market for us, being the Netherlands. Um, the Netherlands has a large presence at CES. It's also an opportunity for us to provide a sneak peek and again into some of those trends that you'll see at CES. And today we're actually making multiple announcements, um, keynote announcements that you can expect to see at CES from uh, very diverse companies that will be present at, this, at the show. Anything you can tell us that's coming up at CES that, that people don't know? What's our, what's our scoop here? Tell us <laughs> so something. actually today at around 2, 2 p.m., um, we'll be making some announcements for our keynotes, which I think will be really exciting. I know will be really exciting as well. But we have announced two keynoters. So L'Oreal will be keynoting at CES, as will be Walmart. So those are very exciting. And the last thing I, I do want to mention as well is, you know, we have a theme for CES. And last year, for the first year, we announced, we announced a partnership with the United Nations and the World Academy for Arts and Sciences. Where we showcase how technology is furthering the development and supporting human securities, so basic human rights, like the right to food, the right to healthcare, these sorts of things, there's seven of them. We worked with our partners and two weeks ago we made an announcement that technology is that eighth pillar of human security. So technology is now considered one of these basic rights, if you will, uh, which is really fascinating for us. It's really exciting for us and you'll see that play out through the show, the show floor. So you'll see how show, technology is supporting and furthering the development of these um, these human securities at CES. And so you'll see that that will be woven throughout our conference sessions, it'll be woven throughout the keynotes. And from what we hear, many of the companies will showcase how their com companies and their products, technologies, are su supporting this tech for good concept. And just before I let you go, you mentioned L'Oreal, uh, which is a big announcement for a keynote, mm -hmm. um, especially because it's a very new area, or it feels like a new area, bringing beauty and tech together. We're seeing fashion yeah. and tech come together. Uh, how important is that? It is, it's really important. I think L'Oreal has participated in CES for 10 years, I believe. And so they've won multiple of our innovations awards over the years. And they actually, um, you know, what they're doing is they're creating products and technologies and they're furthering. It's not just, you know, applying makeup on your face, for instance. They're really utilizing, it's showcasing how they're utilizing technology to create a better experience for their customers um, and to connect with customers in ways that you know they haven't been able to do so before. So this is a growing area of the show floor. Beauty tech is a huge market globally, obviously. Um, and again, every company is a tech company. And so I think you really see that play out at CES where every company, every industry, technology impacts it. And you see that across the show floor in the 30 plus different categories represented at CES. John Kelly talking to me earlier and uh, learning a little bit about what's coming up at CES. Very interesting to hear about the work they had done uh, with L'Oreal. And of course, L'Oreal themselves, Sean, have done a huge amount of work in terms of accessibility because they were the ones who developed that app that helped you uh, apply makeup if you're blind. And um, that was amazing, right, to, to learn about the work they've done and just, just learn about how they're, again, like you know, John says, all these companies are tech companies that are there, even if you don't necessarily think of them as tech well, companies. That's exactly the point. Was it L'Oreal that did that, or was it um, Yves Saint Laurent? I can't remember, but I, I know it, it's really interesting to me, because as soon as you hear that and you think, okay, what on earth has that got to do with technology in any stretch? Yeah. Of course, it comes back to us having access and, and using products just like anyone else can and, and, and just being part of everyday life right and, and yeah it's really 
really exciting. I, I, there was a few things there coming up in the themes, you know. The, the, of course, you've got self-driving cars and el- electric cars. And, uh, but the main things for me there were the, the health, like you mentioned earlier on, and the AI. But then, you know, beauty tech, I wouldn't say no. <laughs> <laughs> what, you, you wouldn't say no to being beautiful? or? Of course not. Oh, uh, no. As a physically <laughs> grotesque man... Then a, a bit of accessible beauty would be great. Thank you. Accessible beauty—that's what we want. I have to say, I just want—I just want AI to basically. This is what I want out of a robot, right? I want a robot that can do a lot of things around my home that doesn't involve just running around the floor. I want it to be able to be my height. So I'm thinking Johnny Five from Short Circuit kind yes, of size. Yes. Uh, I want that. I want it to. I don't want it to just roll around the floor. I want it to be able to go up and down stairs, get things, do things. But I also want it to apply makeup to me. Because sometimes when I do the TV show, I always laugh because they'll, they'll say to me, do you, you got any makeup on? And I say, are you kidding? <laughs> no, yes. If you want Coco the Clown on television, that is just, just give me some rouge and some blusher. Is that a thing? I don't know. Uh, well, it is now. And when I last did Access Tech Live, just before recording, I walked into the patio doors. <laughs> <laughs> I had a big gash on my head. It's like, yeah, we definitely need some makeup here, but uh, oh well. So, you know, as I come to the end of this hour, and uh, as I almost get to the end of this event, um, and it is a one-day event here, um, and it's, it's what I, I will say, just some takeaways. I think that CES should adopt this style of uh, exhibit more often in other parts of the world because... Las Vegas, having been there in 2020, it is an incredibly overwhelming experience for anybody. If you've got a disability, even more so. And I have to say, I just want to say a huge shout out to Valerie, who has been my assistant today. She has been beyond amazing uh, in every possible way. She, uh, the people here at CES, Joyce and everyone who, you know, on the team who have you know, facilitated us here today. And you know, this is a blind guy coming in cold to an event, literally freezing, uh, it's raining here today as well. <laughs> Very Scottish weather I brought here. Um, you know, I come into this event and you, you expect, um, you, well, you, you, you've got an idea because I've done a lot of events and coverage over the years on my own. Uh, and this is the first year I've done this with my vision at this level, right? CES was challenging as well, don't get me wrong, but yeah. I, I think I was, maybe, maybe it was the same, I don't know. I, I had an assistant there with me, of course, Jane. We didn't lose any bags that time, interestingly. Yeah. Uh, it's only when you oh, were there Jane. we lost bags. Um, <laughs> it says more about you than it does about anyone else. But um, yeah, so we, uh, you know, we were there and it was fine. And I, I guess I just lean on Jane when she's there, right? That's what we do. We just lean on the assistant. And, you know, she is so great at helping and just doing stuff. And Jane's that type of person who, you know, if you need a bottle of water, she's got it in hand before you even ask yes. for it. You know, she's one of those kind of people. Amazing. Um, so, you know, coming to an event like this, I have no idea. I also, I don't want to assume too much. I don't want to walk in and say, right, I'm here. What are you doing about it? You know, I want to say to people, look, you know, I'm here. I'd like to do this. And, you know, if, if there's any assistance that can be offered, that would be great. And, you know, we had some meetings in advance. And the team have been so kind to offer the assistance and the help they have in facilitating a, a, a private space for us to record in, to do the show. Um, you know, uh, Valerie being wonderful, helping me get round. I wouldn't have been able to do that otherwise. But I will say that the size of the event has made it so... I mean, I'm in the main hall. This is where, where I'm at just now. There's 80 exhibitors in here. And it's still, even though it's busy, and it is, and there are sessions going on next door as well. There are uh, various uh, panel sessions going on through the day on various topics. Aside all that, 
it still feels quite contained, quite yeah. comfortable to navigate around. So I think, you know, huge kudos to them. Um, but that is it from me in Amsterdam. Um, Michael Babcock is with you tomorrow uh, as I travel home. Uh, and on the Express at the weekend, you can uh, listen to the delights of Adi Kushner talking about the Optima Braille laptop and its development. Uh, we'll replay that conversation for you on Saturday. I'll be back on Monday with you. So uh, thank you for listening. Keep your feedback coming as well. And uh, Sean, I'll uh, catch you next time in the shed. <laughs> no problem. Good luck, Stephen. Thank you. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.